We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, God, This week on the Garage Beers Podcast. It's week six, and we have yet another special guest in the garage. This week, former host of ESPN's Cold Pizza, First Take, and Sports Center, and current anchor on Cleveland's own WKYC, Jay Crawford jumps in with us. We will talk to Jay about his time growing up in Sandusky, his experience at Bowling Green, all the way through to his time at ESPN, and what's going on now in Cleveland sports. All of that, plus our Garage Beers of the Week. So come on up the driveway, pull up a folding chair, crack open a cold one, and join us on Garage Beer. And welcome on into the Garage Beers podcast with you as always. I am Michael Keefe. And again, the only one of us that's actually in a garage, one of these days I'm going to get out, but it is too cold. So the, the brave one in the garage over there on the east side of Cleveland, Chad Meyer. Chad, what's going on? It is, it is crisp out tonight. It is, it is okay. It's not bad. You know, uh, sooner or later, you're going to have to live up to the name of the damn show, Mike. You're going to have to get out and drink some beers in the garage. Come Listen, on. I'm going to do it once I can comfortably sit out there. But but for now, I'm I'm still enjoying basement beers. And as usual, down in Nashville, Tennessee, Joey Whalen. Joey, what's going on, man? Oh, you know, not too much. I, uh, I learned um, how much I appreciate electricity. We had a <laughs> massive storm coming on Sunday like night here new, in Nashville. like the new Oklahoma in Tennessee. Oh, it's insane. I, we've never had weather like this consistently bad during our severe season. And, um, I think there's still like 37,000 people without power, but we lost it for like six hours on Sunday night. No way. And, uh, so me and my roommate were playing cards and we <laughs> played like war for about 15 minutes and we finished like, uh, oh, now what? <laughs> no, it's the dog for the 15th time. <laughs> and we have a, we have a special, we're glad the power's back on or else we wouldn't be doing this, but we have a very special guest. We are absolutely thrilled to be joined this week on the garage beers podcast uh, by uh, a very familiar face. If you're a sports fan, uh, was on ESPN for the better part of two decades. Now, right back here, home in Cleveland, Ohio on WKYC, uh, we are joined by Jay Crawford, fellow BGSU Falcon, Jay Crawford. Jay, welcome to the Garage Beers podcast. Right there, buddy. Oh, he's got the hat on. All right. Where's yours, Mike? Where's yours? That's a, this is a limited edition gimmick here. Oh, you gotta be, you gotta be Jay Crawford right there. And then boom, 
a Cleveland yeah. Bowling Green hat. My, my pleasure, guys. You had me at beer. Yeah, well, we figure that's how we've drawn in several people. So it is it works, appreciated. Man. It's a great hook. <laughs> yeah. Well, a, a friend of mine just tweeted us at the show here and said, uh, garage beers and cold pizza. Can you get a better combination than that? And I thought, you know, it's a match. They were from day one. It was a match made in heaven. We just had to wait. What? I don't know. 17 years. Uh, <laughs> exactly right. Hey, right. hey, fate knows no time. It's always worth the wait. Yeah. Well, we're so excited to have you on Jay. We're going to talk again. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, your path, uh, how you got right back home. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the state of Cleveland sports and all that, but as always right here on the garage beers podcast, we always start off with our garage beers of the week, and we're going to let our guest, our visitor, kick it off. And so, Jay, all we do is tell what beer we're drinking and, and a little description of it and, and how good it is. So what do you got good. for your garage beer of the week? So I'm drinking uh, a, a nice, smooth little blend called Believe Land Brew. What? Right here. Right there. Brew kettle. Believe Land Brew. And... Uh, is that your face? Is that you? That is that is that is my my face, my likeness. Yeah. How are you gonna beat this? I don't know how you're gonna top that, guys. That's up to you. I will say though. <laughs> Good lord! It is a it is as smooth a pumpkin ale as you will taste. Oh, get we're going oh, pumpkin, pumpkin ale in the ale. spring. Pumpkin pumpkin ale in the spring, but I figured what better time to break one out then right now i mean <laughs> now if any of you guys can produce a beer with your mug on the mug i might not break the bottle too shady <laughs> <laughs> look at jay crawford's coming in here big time on us guys he's got his own special edition cleveland I don't know what about. his own beer Okay, <laughs> <laughs> nice brand placement there jay nice brand <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just a humble guy with midwest roots i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> Is that so? Is that is that readily available? Can you go buy that? You know, or is that just a Jake Crawford edition? Oh, you made it at I the did, kettle. Yeah, yeah, yeah I did. So you can go to um to the, the the brew kettle. I think that's the name of it, right? Yep. You can go there and and make your own blend. You can make your own beer. Yeah. And so um, I was lucky enough to be paired with one of their master brew gentlemen, and um, we cook this thing up to my specific tastes and um i got a case of it made and um i gotta tell you everybody that has tried this all they want to know is where do they get it it turned out way better than i even thought it would it's a new business venture for you yeah right i'll say it's it's a side hustle you got you know if this tv thing doesn't work out you know All right. Well, I don't know how any of us are beating that for our garage beer, but we'll send it down to Nashville and we'll see what Joey's got in Nashville. What's your garage Jeez. beer of the week, Joe? <laughs> Thanks for that follow-up. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm working with, uh, uh, I, I've realized I've done pretty much all summer beers since we started this. So I have the uh, Bearded Iris. It's a Nashville brewery. Uh, the Tunnel Vision Citra IPA. It's very like lemony and like zesty and light. Mm. Um, I would just spilled my entire beer on my computer there, but it's got a nice little light color to it. A little, uh, little foggy taste, but, uh, very delicious. It's cute. I could get like a Sharpie and maybe put my face <laughs> on the glass, but 
we might just yeah. get a stick there figure there. So yeah, Chad's over there frantically drawing a gigantic head on his beer. <laughs> oh, it wouldn't fit the bottle. That's for sure. It would not fit the bottle. All right. Well, Joe's got a cute beer down there in Nashville. Let's see what the cute, the cute beer Chad has in the garage is. Well, uh, I, I went back to the stouts this week, guys. Oh, good call. Uh, and in the interest of uh, trying to one up Jay here, this is the, the uh, Black Ghost Oatmeal Stout from Madison River Brewing in, in, in Belgrade, Montana. It's rumored that Grizzly Adams himself uh, peed out this beer and uh, <laughs> Grizzly Adams himself peed out this beer and uh, put some grains and some, some hops. No. <laughs> But yeah, that's what it is. My wife actually got me a pretty cool Christmas gift this year. Um, she did one of those uh, beer, like uh, monthly beer boxes thing where you get beers from all over the country. And uh, this is one of the beers that uh, was sent to me in my latest box. So it's the Madison River Brewing Company in Belgrade, Montana. And uh, yeah, it's pretty good. All right. Chad, on go. any other night, that would be a great effort. <laughs> I don't even want to say my I don't even I don't even want to say it. Let's, Listen, go my beard, Let's see what you got. My beer doesn't have my face on it. Uh <laughs> thankfully because nobody would buy it. I have a face for Radio J. Not all of us can be on TV. Uh, <laughs> I've been told I do too, so it's okay. <laughs> so I've got a good local one here. I got one of my favorite local breweries, Saucy Brew Works, over here uh, just on the west side of Cleveland. Uh, great food there. Uh, so they're still open during all the quarantine. They're making great pizzas and wings and all that. So I went down to Saucy Brew Works and I got their, uh, it's called the Uber ASAP. And it is a, oh, just an awesome kind of New England style IPA. Uh, uh, it's juicy and it's hazy and it's just everything good about a New England style IPA. It's a little sweet, but uh, but yeah, you know, when it comes in a can that's that big, the big crowler, you know it's good. So shout out to Saucy Brew Works, the Uber ASAP. Uh, they had about a billion people in there the other night when I was in there trying to pick up food. But, uh, uh, but yeah, they, they gave me some good beers and uh, happy to have them on the Garage Beers podcast. So cool. some good choices. I don't, know, I don't know, Jay. Anything funny about mine? <laughs> uh, no, I think, I think it's a good effort. I do. I think, I think it's a hell of an effort. Um, you guys keep up the good work. You know, next week it'll be a lot easier for you to show your beer. I'm sure. Well, yeah, yeah. Felix Wright was on last week, and he just said Bud Light because <laughs> when, because when the Browns won, they opened the Bud Light container. So he said that's now his favorite beer. Well, that's a that's appropriate. And you got to bring you got one with your face. So Jay Jay wins this year's edition or this week's edition of of Garage Beers of the Week because he brings out his face on a beer. And- <laughs> <laughs> that is very cool. and i will tell you i didn't plan to but i i mostly have wine and and there's some champagne in the in in the uh, refrigerator down here and i'm sifting through the beers and there were some that i considered and then i thought oh wait a minute wait a minute bringing out a special one we're gonna do these live Can one I day we're gonna do these on site one day and you're gonna have to bring us a couple of your special brews because you talked it up I'm telling you, it is. It's really good. It's very good, and everybody that's had it so far is seriously like, "How do I get this? How, how can I get this?" All right, Chad, you're buying. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I was going to say, can I tell you? I, just before all of this COVID Mexican beer coronavirus thing happened, I'm so I was so excited because they are putting a. I, I live in Menor, Jay, and they're putting a brew kettle right in at Menor Mall. Oh, nice out there. And, and, 
and it, um, but it's it, obviously I haven't gotten a chance to go brew any beer there yet because literally three days before the grand opening, oh, no. it was it, everything oh. shut down. Oh. <laughs> it, it, everything it, shut down. Chad, it will be worth the wait. I promise. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It has. I've been to the. I've been to the Strongsville. I mean, it's Strongsville Bar. I mean, it's got great food too. So I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's a place. I had be. wings when I was there. They were these killer wings. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, that's our garage beers of the week. We got some good ones, but let's get into a little bit of, of, of our special guest, Jay Crawford, and, and uh, uh, we're interested to talk to you a little bit, some of your story, uh, how you got to really full circle. Uh, grew up in Sandusky, right? You went to Perkins. Absolutely. And then made your way to Bowling Green. That's it. What would you do at Bowling Green? Were you part of, did they have the BG Radio Sports Organization when you they were there? Did. Yeah. So I worked there. Um, I spent a lot of time doing um, sports casts, uh, calling sports radio shows, a lot of play by play for basketball, football, hockey. Um, and really, uh, I, I was one of those weird guys that when I was like 14 years old, I knew what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was kind of intimidating because when you get there, um, you know, these kids have already been doing it for two and three years and they, they were polished in my eyes for students. Right. Um, but they set a great example for me, someone to, um, you know, to look up to. And, you know, the experience that I got at Bowling Green Radio Sports really um, allowed me to get my internship, which I did at a NBC station in Syracuse, New York. And from that internship, it was easy for me to get a first job because my tape looked like a real tape. The stuff I was getting out of college looked like college production. And um, it's amazing how when you sit on a professional set with professional cameras and professional lighting, how all of a sudden you look a lot better. I wasn't any good, but (laughs) my tape looked better than most of the guys that were applying for jobs right out of school because most of their tapes were from college production classes. So um, that really is what sort of got me going. Yeah, shout out. I, I will give a personal shout out to the BG Radio Sports organization. I was part of that too when I was there. BGRSO. I think it's still yeah. BGRSO on Twitter. Uh, uh, man, they did some cool. I, I Some of my coolest experiences of my whole life came from that. Uh, yeah, and again, I, I didn't quite go down the road you, road you did, Jay. But man, I got to call a, I got to call a Bowling Green, Ohio State game at the, at the Horseshoe. I, you, I, you know, I've, I've called games in, in Lincoln Financial when they played Temple. Like just super fun, crazy, cool things that you got to see. And just as a student, like I, they just put you on the plane, send you to Philadelphia with the team. And I was like, what am I even doing here? So no, I know I had those similar experiences and um, just kind of pinch yourself looking around thinking, wow, what, what, how lucky am I right now? But you know, that's why, um, that's why it exists to give, you know, young guys like us that wanted to do this our whole life, an opportunity to sort of hone our skills and practice our craft and, see where we can go with it. I called Ottawa Glendorf and Genoa regional final at Bowling Green Stadium, <laughs> at Doyle Perry Stadium. Hey. Get jealous, guys. Get jealous. Somebody should put your head on a beer. <laughs> <laughs> so then you, and then you wind up and, and you do that thing that you find just so many successful people do. You do that thing in Syracuse and you wind up in Hazard, Kentucky, right? Yeah, so after I, I read, know where that is. Um, you know, but I'll tell you, um, I, if you were to compare me with the other guys in, in, at Bowling Green, like I was just, I was just one of the guys really. I mean, no, it's not like everybody was looking at me as, Oh, he's going to be the guy that gets, that gets lucky and that, and, and has a, a, a terrific career. 
it wasn't that at all. I think for me, I wanted it really, really badly. And I had thick skin, man. I didn't give a rat's ass what anybody said about me. I didn't care. I, you know, obviously you're sending your tapes out to news directors that you don't know. Most of them never get back to you. Th those that do rip you to shreds. By the way, I looked like I was 15 when I graduated <laughs> college. I had news directors say, dude, start smoking three packs a day, drink a fifth <laughs> of liquor a day. You look like you're a junior in high school. You know, you need to live a little bit and, and have a little maturity to you. Like I, I literally, when I look back at my demo tape, I literally say, how the hell did anybody hire me? I, I, I still don't get it. But I was really lucky. Um, and I had an interview in Toledo. I had an interview at some really small markets. Um, a station in Akron called me. And th these weren't even for on-air jobs. They were for reporter or uh, they were for photographer jobs. And I didn't get them. And I had a lot of no's. And really, you know, I, I was to the point, I was about four months out of school. I graduated in May of 87. And the summer after I graduated, I did what most um, radio, television, film graduates do is, and I, uh, I painted houses. And so um, it was a living. I was, I was living in Strongsville, painting houses with my brother-in-law. And I was, you know, I, I had money in my pocket for really the first time in my life. And um, about four or five months after I had graduated, this small CBS affiliate from Hazard, Kentucky, which I thought was the Dukes of Hazard. I'd never been there, never heard of it. I'm like, what the hell? They called. So I get in my car the next weekend and I drive down there. It's an eight hour drive. It literally is like, I mean, the people there are great. Um, I can never say anything bad about the people, but just economically, it's, it's horrific. I mean, it's yeah. poverty like you've never seen before. Mm. I had never seen anything like it. Um, and I was just like, it was in the fall. And I just remember there were like, there were a lot of the woods were on fire. Like they had these terrible um, forest fires that were going on and you could barely breathe. And I'm like, okay, this looks like hell. I like, I, I, I don't even know if I'll take this job if they offer it. Well, they did. And I didn't even bat an eyelash. It was funny because it was a news <laughs> reporter job, right? So I knew nothing about news. All my experience at Bowling Green was all sports. sports. And so right. they had asked me in the interview, do you have any experience? And of course I did like any good young professional would do. And I lied and I'm like, Oh, news, <laughs> news, schmooze. I can do news. No problem. So I was hired as a news Easy. reporter. And my, this is a true story. My very first day on the job, I come in, it's eight o'clock in the morning and there is uh, a newsroom announcement at eight 30 that says there's a mandatory station meeting. Everybody must come at nine o'clock. And I'm thinking, God, is is this where they're going to announce me? Like mandatory station meeting? You know, in my, in my mind, I'm the center of the universe. So I looked at one of the other reporters in the newsroom and I said, dude, is this like, is this a big deal? What is, what's going on? And he's like, it's a huge deal. I've been here three years. We've never had one of these. So I'm like, oh, great. We're going out of business or you know, something. So we go to this meeting and the, um, the general manager gets up and he's like, um, I just like to announce that today's my last day. I've taken a job um, as the sales manager at WKYT, our sister station in Lexington, Kentucky. And Wayne Martin will be taking over as the general manager effective five o'clock today. So I'm thinking, okay, the guy that hired me is quitting on my first day. <laughs> bad, bad sign. Rough start. When I found out, 
So I, I didn't know at the time, but I found out from coworkers um, later that day that Wayne used to be a basketball coach at Moorhead State. So I thought, okay, he's a sports fan. I, I might have an in here. So he had said in his meeting, I want to meet individually with everybody. Uh-huh. It'll take about two weeks, but I'll, you know, my secretary will call you and get you on the schedule. So I was like two weeks later, last man on the totem pole, probably. He probably met with me right after he met with the station janitor. <laughs> So he calls me in and he has no idea who I am. I did an interview with this guy on the, uh, on my interview. And he said, so who are you? And I said, I'm the new reporter. My name is Jay. What's your story? I said, well, you know, I'm big sports fan. I want to play at the sports angle. Cause I knew he was a basketball coach at Moorhead state. He in fact had beaten Indiana and Bobby Knight one year in like the first round of the tournament. Yes. Just a few years earlier. And then he just wow. retires and gets into TV. <laughs> it's totally nutty guy. But so he said, um, oh, you're, you're, you're a sports guy? And I said, yeah, I am. And he goes, well, I don't like our sports guy. Do you have a tape? <laughs> and I said, I have my demo tape that I sent to the news director. That's, it was all sports. And he said, okay, hold on. So he called the news director and said, bring Jay's tape down. So the news director's down there in a matter of minutes, gives him my tape. He puts it in. And the first thing he sees on it is an interview with Jim Beheim. So Wayne stops the tape with the remote control and said, you know Jim Beheim? And so, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, Jimmy, oh, Jimmy B, Jimmy B, (laughs) we're like this. I call him dad. (laughs) Right, exactly. So he said, oh my God, I don't believe this. Hold on. So he's flipping through his Rolodex on his desk and I'm thinking, oh Oh, no, no. he's going to call Jimmy B. I don't know Jim Beheim. I interviewed him a few times. I don't know. He certainly doesn't know me. So all I can hear is his end of the conversation. And he says, Sally, whatever Jim's secretary's name was. Uh, hey, well, listen, Wayne Martin calling from, uh, from Kentucky. Uh, is Jimmy in? Okay, oh, put him on. Hey, Jim, you'll never guess who's in my office right oh, now. No. Oh, God. And I'm thinking, you have no idea how right you are. He's never going to guess. <laughs> you can give him a billion guesses. He's never going to get it. He'll get and that janitor first. He said, Jay Crawford. Yeah, yeah, Jay Crawford. <laughs> oh, no. Jay, he said he doesn't know who you are. Oh, no. <laughs> so I said, I said, Wayne, I, I don't like know him in the real sense. I've interviewed him. Tell him I was Roger Springfield's intern at Channel 3. Oh, God. So he said, Jay said he was Roger Springfield's intern at Channel 3. And I can hear Jim coming through the phone. Oh, Jesus, absolutely. If he knows oh. Roger, he's a great guy. Tell him I said hi. So he and Wayne talk for about five minutes. He hangs up the phone. He said, listen, how do you like this news gimmick? I said, I don't. I hate it. He said, okay, effective December 1st, you're my new sports guy. And oh. I mean, I'm just like, whoa, that, that was easy. I was, I was literally yeah. on the job for three weeks before oh I got God. a raise and a promotion. <laughs> and I, now, by the way, I had never done a live television sportscast. All my, all my stuff was taped, obviously, you know. Right. In Syracuse, after a show, I would sit on the set, record a sportscast. So it's all taped. I've never done a live show. <laughs> so I said, wow, well, what about Jeff, the sports guy? And he goes, 
he's going to be your weekend guy. He's going to train you. And I'm like, oh, that's going to go over real well. (laughs) So, I mean, literally December 1st with absolutely no live TV experience, I'm the youngest television sports director in the country at 22 years old, uh, working at a CBS affiliate, making $13,000 a year. Boom. Which, in Hazard, which in Hazard, Kentucky, gets you a four-bedroom mansion. Dude, yeah. I was like, I was like in the upper. I was a one percenter. Yeah. <laughs> like, and this, right. and this whole career kicked off by you're just you're you're very close friend from the time you were a child, Jim Bay. Just Jimmy B. So amazing. Everybody in TV um, will tell you that. The, 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 it's such a crazy gimmick. It really is. It's a nutty business. It. It's a lot about networking and contacts and who you know. At the end of the day, your talent's going to win the day. Um, So, you know, you may get a break. Whether or not you stay there is up to whether or not you deserve it. And so we all have in the business someone we refer to as our TV godfather. Well, Wayne Martin is to this day my TV godfather. We still communicate on a regular basis. He went on, by the way, to have an exemplary 30-year career as not only the general manager of that station, he quickly became the general manager of the sister station in Lexington. And then they were owned by a a communications company called Gray Communications, who owns stations all over. He took over as the president of Gray Communications and ran their entire station group. Wow! And so um, we obviously kept in very close contact. It was funny. So after the ESPN layoffs, I was hearing from people I hadn't heard from in, in you know, I think I heard from Jimmy B. Right. <laughs> By the way, I got to know very well during my time at ESPN. Right. And I asked him if he remembered that story. And he goes, no, nah, I don't. <laughs> but we the hell every time we, Roger other, we shared a laugh over that story. But the, to me, the best part of, of all of that is, um, I'm hearing from everybody, you know, in the business. Hey, I got an offer for you. Hey, how would you like to do this? My buddy Wayne called me and said, Jay, I, um, I hold you in the highest regard uh, of all the TV decisions I've made. And there have been thousands. I look at the one that elevated you into our first sports director as the best decision I ever made. And it was really my first big personnel decision. Wow. It gave me the confidence in my career to make many others. And uh, he said, I believe that with your TV experience and your acumen and the way you follow the business, I think you'd make a great general manager if you'd like to transition away from the camera. And I said, Wayne, I'm probably more humbled and grateful right now with that offer than I was 30 years ago when you plucked me out of the news reporter ranks at your station to become your sports director. But um, I I love what I do too much to transition into a role like that. I, I'm grateful for the offer. Um, You know, I'm going to take the next two and a half years and go into practice retirement. And I'm going to be very careful with what I pick for my next spot. But but it means a lot to me. So he's my TV godfather, and he really is the guy that got me off and running. I love it. That's awesome. So, so you stay there for a bit, then you bounce around. And you're in Hartford, which is yeah. I'm hoping I'm going to guess you made a couple contacts up in Hartford uh, with with I the. Did, but oddly enough, none of them that actually led to my 
working there. When really? I, so like 91, I, I was in Kentucky for three and a half, four years. I went to the Fox affiliate in Hartford, which was a huge jump, really. I mean, you know, right. Hartford was like the 23rd market in the country. I'm 25 years old. I'm working at the Fox station there. And um, right as I was, I was only there 18, 15 months. But I, all I wanted to do was come home. I, I was, I, I hated the Northeast. Um, I, I desperately missed my family and my friends. And so, yeah. but there was nothing that was open in Cleveland. There was nothing open. Anywhere. So I, um, one day out of the blue, I had sent the tape to Columbus, to the CBS affiliate down there, WBNS Channel 10. And um, they called me at, at my office in Hartford and said, we've got a job if you'd like to come in for an interview. And I, that's all I'd been waiting nice. All I wanted to do was go home. So I went and interviewed for the job. And I, I came home and I didn't hear anything. And in the meantime, ESPN2 calls and said, well, ESPN called and said, we're getting ready to launch this thing called ESPN2. And we're going to start this show called, I think it was Sports, Sports Night. I can't remember what the actual title of the show was going to be. It was going to be a primetime sports center from 8 to 11. So it was going to be basically nice. in progress stuff. And they had told me about two um, young, fresh talent that they had already hired. They wanted two more. So wow. they had hired um, Susie Colbert, who um, I had later worked with during my time at ESPN, and Stuart Scott. They were going to be two of the main four wow. faces of ESPN2 and this flagship show. And so I wanted out of the Northeast so badly. I'm thinking I, I got to be nice to these people. It would be an awesome opportunity, but I want to go home. So wow. after I had talked to ESPN in the interim, um, Channel 10 called me and yeah. said, we'd like to offer you the job. And so I called ESPN and said, um, you know, I'm thankful for the interest. I'm very grateful, but um, I'm going home. I have an opportunity to go to work at Col in Columbus and cover my beloved Ohio State Buckeyes and yeah. college friends there. And my family is all still there. So I ended up saying no. Now, if you follow the history of ESPN2, um, it really it almost crushed them that I didn't go because they instead hired Keith Olbermann. <laughs> what has he done? Right. Yeah. Right. Um, right. Uh -huh. But I I couldn't get out of the Northeast fast enough. So I was there 15 months, literally. And I wow. asked out of my contract, and they let me go. I came back to Columbus. I was there for five years. I, I covered some great Buckeye teams: Eddie George, yeah. Joe Galloway, Bobby Hoying. Those teams basically every year ran the table except for Michigan. They were great teams. Yeah. They also won the Rose Bowl 97 against Arizona State. Yes. I was there five years. Um, I went to cover Indians Red Spring training in Florida in the spring of 97. And I worked out of the ABC affiliate down there. And I'm literally leaving after spending a week tooling around Florida in a convertible in yep. March. I've, I land back in Columbus. It's 20 degrees. I go back to the office, check my voicemail, and I've got a message on there from the news director at the station that I was working out of in Tampa. Yes. And he said, we'd like to make you our sports director. And I basically couldn't say yes fast enough. I couldn't get down to Florida fast enough. My only problem <laughs> was I still had another year left on my contract. Um, and they wouldn't let me out. But 
the ABC station in Tampa said, we're good. We will wait for your contract to expire and you can start in a year. Wow. So my first day in Tampa was the very first Tampa Bay Devil Rays baseball game, March 31st, 1998. So my career wow. started by covering the first Devil Rays game in Tampa. And it ended when the Buccaneers won the Super Bowl. Yes. And so it was five years. And after that was when I went to ESPN to launch Cold Pizza in New York in 2003. Yeah. And I was there 16 years. I launched Cold Pizza, which became First Take. Yeah. I also did the Little League World Series, hosting that and doing play-by-play of that event for uh, the last three or four years I was there. NFL Live, Sports Center. Yeah. Um, but I think I think when I think of my time at at, at um, ESPN, I mostly think of Cold Pizza and First Take. Yeah. Because when we launched that show, every sports TV critic in the country killed us. There's no room for for a buffoonery Good Morning America type show in the morning. There's no viewership there. There was no live sports television show televised nationally when we launched. The only thing on were Sports Center reruns. That was it. Right. And within two years, we were beating Sports Center reruns. So they launched Sports Center AM live because we were we had siphoned off their audience. And even today, you know, 18 years after the launch, 17 years after the launch, um, that show is one of their biggest launch successes outside of Sports Center. Oh, easily. Um, uh, for, in terms of daily studio shows, PTI has also done extremely well. But the amount of money that the network makes on First Take is incredible. I mean, they just made Stephen A. the highest paid personality at the network. Isn't that crazy? It is nuts. So yeah. uh, I'm super proud of my time there. I have many friends there. I have no animosity there. I, I basically got to a point there where I just made too much money. And they were in a much different world. They, they once upon a time had 100 million paying customers a month. And right. because of cord cutting, that had pulled back all the way to about 84 million and 16 million times $7.50 a month. <laughs> yeah. You can do the math. That's $100 million less every single month than they were making. And they had Man. overspent for the NBA and the NFL. So it's a much different time now. I, I feel like I got the best. I was there during the best 10-year stretch. Um, part of my 16 years um, in, in the network's uh, history. And, and then after that, I, I, could, I could have gone wherever I wanted, and I wanted to come home. And um, I it. really wanted to do something new. I didn't want to do local sports. And Channel 3 was really upfront about, we'll give you something that will be your own. You can do it in the day part that you wanted. I, I didn't have anything. I didn't want anything to do with working at 11 o'clock at night. So I took a five o'clock show and, and here I am and I'm loving life. I'm home. I keep my boat in Sandusky and I'm there Love every it. weekend during the boating season. So I still get to taste my hometown and see all of my friends and family there. And I'm working here and I, and I don't have to cover the sporting events here. I get to go to the games <laughs> as a fan. Yeah. is a big change for me for the last 30 years. Most of the games I went to were to cover. So long, 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 long story. That's my career in the nutshell. I love it. Well, we'll just have to maybe drink some lunch breaks at Putin Bay on your boat this summer. (laughs) You let me know. know. I'll bring Um, the ale. uh, (laughs) The ale. (laughs) Now, what I wanted to ask you, Jay, is, um, you know, 
you know, we talked about, you know, you know, when you first start out in this business, all you really need is a foot in the door. Then it's pretty much up to you from there. Yeah. But, but then yeah. it was interesting to me that you said, you know, ESPN two called you, uh, ESPN two called you and you had the guts. Not many people would do that, especially at the time where ESPN two was to, to be, to turn them down once. Did they just keep track of you? During that well, career, or how did you connect with them a second time? I'll tell you, it was it was odd because I had all of my professional mentors told me, "What are you doing? This is this is ESPN." Now, but mind you, this was 1991. ESPN was up and coming. They were not the national brand, right. and the world brand that they are today. Okay. okay. But you know what? For me, none of that mattered. I I never ever wanted to. I never looked at ESPN, even when I went there. I had turned down another job when they launched around the horn about a year before they launched cold pizza. They had called me and wanted me to moderate that show, which that job eventually went to Max Kellerman, but I had turned them down a second time um, for the around the horn. And, And to tell you about how much I know about television, they explained the concept of the show to me. There's going to be, four writers from around the country and they're going to talk sports with you and you're going to score their comments and their arguments. And at the end, there'll be a winner. And I said, that show sounds terrible. That'll never work. <laughs> Newspaper guys suck on TV. It, it's just, it's, it's going to be awful. And, um, you know, Jay Mariotti and Woody Page and the original crew of Around the Horn guys, I just didn't think they were very good on television. Um, but I was wrong. They became Brew. very good on television. <laughs> and... I didn't want to like the show at first because I wanted to be right. Um, so every time I would watch it, I'm like, this show sucks. <laughs> then I'd watch it a little bit more and I'm like, this show's pretty good, man. <clears throat> and really, not that I regretted going because I was loving my life in Tampa. It was golf, baseball, and working, talking for a living about sports on TVs. What's not to love? I, I Honestly, I thought I would retire from Tampa. I loved it there. I had no intentions of leaving, but a year after I had said no to around the horn, the Super Bowl was being played in Miami. That's the year the Ravens won the Super Bowl. It was being played in Tampa Bay. I'm sorry. And all of the executives always descend on the city. And um, they were watching one of my sports casts and they said, you know, this guy might be perfect for that morning show that we want to do. And at the time, my kids were pretty young. They were in elementary school. And the notion of being done every day by noon was really attractive. Deal. And so um, I initially said, no, I don't think it's for me. And then um, they said, what are your kids into? I said, my my kid loves sports and my daughter loves Broadway plays. And the next thing you know, (laughs) we're up at a Yankees game and a play. And they were like, (laughs) Um, but really put them over the edge. This is a true story. We took them to the old, I don't think it's there anymore. There was a Toys R Us in um, Times Square and it yes. had the Ferris wheel. Yes, crazy. On the Ferris wheel. And my son was like, Dad, can we please move here? <laughs> <laughs> this is it. This so is the end. I just say no. And the, so the more I listened about the job, the more it became attractive to me. The idea that it was new. I, I love launching shows. I love things that are against all odds. I love things that haven't been done before. And I knew we were going to have some leeway. Thank God that we did, because when we launched Cold Pizza, it was horrible. 
But I knew that we had the backing of the executives and I knew that they would be smart enough to figure out what the show was missing initially and add it in. And they did. After nine months, they said, you know, we need more sports. We were talking about, you know, sports illustrated swimsuit models. We were having interviewed, <laughs> uh, we, we were interviewing Victoria's Secret models. Not that I complained, but I was saying that's I, not a bad I, thing. That's why I went there. You know what I mean? And so they said, what if we did a daily debate? show within cold pizza which we which was called yeah. first and ten yep. and we would do a segment every half hour with woody and skip yep and that was the turning point of the show and but i knew that they would figure it out and i knew they were committed to the show they were spending a gargantuan sum of money yeah. they, this the show was produced in times square yeah it had a massive budget i knew they were going to make it good and um that period of my cold pizza or my espn 16 years that five years where we were cold pizza where we were launching and we were horrible and then we became a huge hit that was by far the best five-year stretch of my career i really enjoyed that time you know that brings me that reminds me this is actually the third time we've met jay because we met at bowling green mm -hmm. uh for that lunch and that was right when you started at espn your kids were little it was because yeah. i was at bowling green it was 2003, 2004, or something like that. I think was was who was the quarterback then? Was it Harris or Jacobs? Who was there? When, oh, when, it, I think when you came, it was Omar Jacobs. It was Josh Harris. My I first two right years. Around, oh, I think you're right. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, um, Urban I, yeah, had just I, left. I mean, I remember when, when they asked me to come, I was like, nobody's going to know who I am. <laughs> I just barely started on ESPN. Yeah, I lost my mind for like a week. <laughs> uh, but the second time, and this also, I lost my mind. I actually think that was the second time. I think the first time I had a really good, we have a very good family friend that used to be a writer for ESPN. Oh, wow. Uh, and his name's Jeff McGregor. And, uh, he, my sister lived in New York for 20 years and he said, Hey, do you want to go check out? There's this new ESPN show. And it's right in Times Square. Do you want, I can get you in. You can just go check it out. Cause at that time I was in, I was wanted to be in broadcasting and I was oh, in wow, okay. here. He was like, you want to go check it out? I was like, I would walk there from Cleveland. I, yeah, of course. <laughs> yes. And it, it randomly turns out that I'm there on the same day. You guys had CC Sabathia there when he was like, you know, pretty early in his career. Sure. So there I am sitting in this green room with CC Sabathia and his wife, who I think was pregnant at the time. Right. And like, just, I'm sitting there. Here's this kid from Cleveland that has done nothing. I, like, I don't even, I think I've maybe just started college losing my mind. I'm yeah. there with CC Sabathia hanging in the green room. And then they pulled up a little folding chair on the set. And all I, all I thought was I'm going to trip one of these camera guys. They're moving Did all over. Do you have any idea that I was a BG guy at that point or no? No, I think, again, I think that was before we had met at Bowling Green. Okay. And I, it was the most whirlwind day. And I, I think I called everybody on the planet. Like you are yeah. never going to guess what I just did. I just sat at ESPN in Times Square for, I don't know, four hours. And I was just sitting there just wide eyed watching everything. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that story is crazy. And, and I remember that. I remember, I think, I think most of us remember cold pizza starting and everybody was kind of like, Oh God. That'll be my, oh, yes. my God. I love that. He's got the, he's Hold got on, the cold pizza mic. <laughs> Garage beers and cold pizza. <laughs> I don't know. That's goosebumps. 
Joey, are you taking these video clips in? Please, God, take oh, yeah. these video clips. Yeah, we can, we can get those. We're going to need that. <laughs> so, you, But you skipped over something. You, you, your story is – that's such a great story, and you have so many – so many good stories within your journey. And I'm sure there's a thousand more that we, we're not going to hear tonight, but you skipped over a good one. And, and again, I don't even know how true this is because sure. information gets laid out by pretty much Wikipedia at this point, And that's sometimes true. I will, I will verify anything and everything. There's a minor league baseball stint. Oh, absolutely. In 2005, after you had already been at ESPN, you of course he's got memorabilia. Of course Saints? he's got memorabilia. No way. So of course he's got so, memorabilia. So this, <laughs> look at this guy. This is amazing. Now, listen, you want a story? This is yes. after my. That is actually my. Um, I don't know if that was my last minor league appearance. I think I pitched one other time after that. But the great story about that one is that was after two no hit innings and it could only be two because this is a, the craziest story. Do you remember Daryl Evans? Of course. The major leaguer. Yes. Yeah. So he was managing this team in long beach and his pitching coach was John Warden, who was on the 1968 Detroit Tigers, who was also a baseball contributor to cold pizza. John knew that I pitched and knew that I had thrown some minor league games. And he called me and said, listen, we're really thin on pitching in the month of August. Can, can we bring you in? We'll sign you to a deal. We need you to, to make a spot start. <laughs> get get out of here. At, you had me at spot start. Yeah, so right. I go out there. I do a bullpen on whatever day was. I think it was a Thursday. I do a bullpen. And I was, good, I was to pitch Friday. So I'm going through my pregame. It's like five o'clock now. It's getting close to game time. And Daryl comes up to me and he goes, man, we've had a terrible miscommunication. And I'm like, what? And he said, we've got a kid who's, and I, I, you guys can research this, whoever this guy was. He was, he had pitched in the big leagues with the Tigers and was young and had a great year, but then he had a weird injury. And he was out of baseball for a year, and he was coming back through the independent leagues. I want to say Bonderman, but I don't think it was Bonderman. I think it was someone of that ilk. Okay. Anyhow, he was supposed to start on Saturday, okay? So I was going to start Friday. He was going to start on Saturday. But there were major league scouts that wanted to see him pitch. And because he was tearing up the, the league, and he was – trying to work his way back to the bigs. So Daryl Evans said, I just had three big league scouts talk to me out uh, in the stadium. And they told me they're looking forward to seeing this young guy pitch. I can't think of his name. And um, he said, I told all the scouts he was pitching Saturday, but maybe I, I think I said Saturday, but I said today's date. So I got to get him some work with these scouts coming. So I thought he was going to just scratch me altogether. So he said, and, and I don't think he felt that I was going to do any good. Right. So he said, would you be okay if I just threw you one in? Now, I mean, what am I going to say? No. And, and sure. I'm out of the joint. <laughs> so I'm like, look, Daryl, I get it. You know, terrible, terrible misunderstanding. I'll give you the best inning I've got. 
So John Warden, who's my buddy, came up to me. He's like, Jesus, I'm so sorry about this. Listen, if you go out there and you have a lights out inning, I can probably lobby for a second inning. So I'm like, let's get this done. Let's do it. So I go out there and I have a one, two, three inning. But the best part of it is the three hitter is a former first round draft choice of the Angels. Yeah. And I strike him out to end the inning. So I'm thinking, who knows? It'd probably be the end of my my pitching career. (laughs) So I'm coming to the dugout. That picture was taken right after that. And Evan said, oh, my God, you're killing me. And I said, what? And he goes, I can't take you out after that. (laughs) It was a first-round draft pick. So literally, he said, I'm going to give you another inning. And I got to tell you, I've never done this, but I'm hoping you get shelled. So I don't look like an idiot for pulling. I'll do my best coach. So I go out there. I think I walked the guy, but I retired the side after that. So I've got two hitless innings going and I may have had another strikeout in there. I know I had at least the one. Um, And when I came out, he goes, man, you put me in a tough spot. I got to get this kid into the game. The scouts are here to see him. And I'm like, well, they can just keep watching me. (laughs) (laughs) Now, mind you, I think at the time, you can look all this up, that my box scores are available. I think at the time, this was probably 2005. So I'm 39, 40 years old. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And these kids are 22, 23, 24. Most of them are right out of college. So, um, that was my, I think that's my favorite story of, oh. of my time pitching. But uh, the, the, better, the better story is when I, when I was in Tampa, I was on a very, very competitive um, amateur team. And we were pitching in the state championship game in um, West Palm Beach. And about the sixth or seventh inning, somebody comes to our dugout and he's talking to somebody. I'm not really paying attention one nothing game it's very tight and the guy comes my teammate comes over and he goes dude there's a freaking big time scout from the from the rays here and he just said who's this guy pitching i know this guy <laughs> and i said well what'd you say and he said i, I told him Crawford, he he works at abc in tampa he goes oh my god the guy's in our clubhouse all the time that's why i know him <laughs> So I finished the game. We win the state championship. I pitched out of my mind. It was just, I just, everything was working. Um, I don't see him. He never makes contact with me. Nothing. Fast forward a couple of years. Now I'm working at cold pizza. The scout was um, Vec. Uh, the, the, he was the, uh, like, either the head scout or the general manager of the Rays at the time. Yeah. Okay. So it's Bill oh Vett's grandson, I believe. Yeah. So he ends up, his son had some weird eye disease. And I think he was, I think he went blind. Oh. And so Vec resigns from the Rays to, to spend more time with his kid. And he ends up writing this book and he gets booked on our show. Now I'm thinking I'm doing the prep the night before. And I'm like, I'm not even going to bring up the state championship game. Cause there's no way he'll remember that. So he sits down in the chair in the commercial break before, and he goes, you still pitching. And I'm like, 
<laughs> like, Where have you been? In fact, I am. Okay. Goes, I remember. I remember. So he said, "Do you? would you like to throw a professional game? And I go, um, let me think about it. And I'll get back. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so Jesus. He said, you're going to get a call from, he is either full owner, I think he's part owner with Bill Murray of the St. Paul Saints. Right. He said, you're going to get a call from my manager later today. So his manager calls me out of the blue and said, listen, um, Mr. Vex said that you can throw a little bit. He's seen you pitch. And he said that he thinks that you can get guys out at the, uh, at, at, at the independent league level. So he said, do you have any stats? And I'm like, yeah, I can send you a link to our, you know, our, our league. And at the time I was like, 10 and two with a one, four ERA. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my, my whip was ridiculous. My age per nine was like 14. And so, I mean, I'm like, geez, if it, absolutely. You can see it. So I sent Sign him a link and he said, I'll give you a call back in a couple days. I'd sent the link off. I didn't hear from him. And then two days go by and he calls me and he's like, we want to see a pitch. I mean, are these your numbers? Are these really your numbers? I said, they're my numbers. I don't even run. I don't run the website. So I flew to Minneapolis. I pitched my, my first effort there was relief. Um, I can't remember how many innings I threw. Um, I did okay. I didn't get shelled. Um, and then I, they kept wanting me to work around hitters, which I didn't want to do. The pitching coach was like, don't pitch to him. Don't pitch to him. He'll take you deep. And I'm like, let me at least try. But they're in a playoff race, and they they really want to, you know. So, you know, I'm looking into the dugout, and the pitching coach is giving me the, you know, nothing good, you know. So I'm I'm nibbling, and they're not biting. And so I'm walking guys. I walked a couple of guys, which I never do, and I hate to do. Right. So I ended up, though, I was – I did okay. You know, I can't remember what my numbers were, but I did okay. So – it worked out that later in the year, they um, actually had won the first half. The, the way that league worked was this, the Northern League, the Independent League. Yep. You, there, were, there was a first-half champion and a second-half champion, and that's how you won the division. And that, those teams made the playoffs. Right. Well, they had clinched the first half already, so the second half, they were just kind of – they wanted innings eaters. They didn't want to use their stud arms. Right. So they called me back and said, listen, we want you to come back, and we, we'll, we'll give you a start, you, you know – go nuts. So I did, I flew back. I got the start. I went maybe four innings or five innings or so. I did. Okay. I didn't, I did you know, I gave up a couple of runs. I think, um, you know, I, I didn't get, I didn't embarrass myself by any stretch. I struck out a couple of guys. And so then I kind of thought, you know, that was really fun. I can now say that I can check that my yeah. goal my whole life to be a major league baseball player. That didn't happen, but I did draw a paycheck for pitching. So I thought that was it. 16 bucks in the independent <laughs> per pitch. Yeah, so well, maybe I thought that that was going to be it. But then the next year, I think it was the next year is when um, John Warden called and yeah. said, are you still throwing? And I said, and he had seen me pitch. He had actually come to some of my games in, um, in New York. So he had seen me pitch. He knew that I wasn't, you know, that, that I could, that I could do it. Um, but at this point I'm, I'm 39. Right. Um, but he said, listen, I, I talked to Daryl. We need some guys to pick up some oh starts. 
can we fly out here, sign you in? And so I went out there and that was my glorious, hold on one second. That is amazing. You know, this is all happening. Like oh, two gosh. years, I don't know where he went. He's gone. No. We lost Jay. This picture oh, was more memorabilia. More memorabilia. Oh, we got to get these videos up. <laughs> Look at that. Wow. Well, this is all, what, this is all happening like two years after Disney releases the movie, The Rookie. Now, no, so now you're like living the rookie. So, well, listen, so here comes the tale full circle. Ready? (laughs) Vec was was looking for the Disney story. Oh, (laughs) the Disney story. It ended up being Jim Morris. You were Dennis Quaid. I am convinced (laughs) that when he was there, he was looking for some, some sort of, you know, why would the general manager of the Tampa Bay Devil Rays be watching 25-year-olds playing in a state championship game in West Palm? You know, right. it, didn't, it didn't make much sense. But, um, you know, it was just it was just crazy um, how, how, yeah. it all, how it all worked out. But um, when I went to Long Beach, I kind of figured, like, I'm 39. Um, <laughs> This probably won't work out. Oh, this is your time anymore. But listen, at fifty-four, if anybody calls, you're I'm, going. I'm, I, I tell you, you should call. I don't throw as hard, but I still don't walk, guys. I throw it over the plate. I'm telling you, you should call because now they've loosened league restrictions. The three of us, Joey and Chad, and I—I <laughs> I worked full time for the Lake Erie Crushers out there in Avon. Chad was our Chad was our PA guy, and Joey yeah. hauled kegs with the best of them. If the Crushers Whoop. want me to come out and throw oh. a couple of innings, oh, they would do it. I'm in. You we and played, my, my neighbor over played, here, Travis um, Hafner. We played a game there, I think, last year. My my team here in Cleveland. Oh, did you? Yeah, we played a game there. I think it was last year, maybe the last couple of years. I've been here. I've been home now for two years. I think I've I've played there at least once. Um, yeah, and maybe that's a great place. Oh yeah. So you know, I mean, if you're looking for a guy, I know a guy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's we gotta get him this hot. My own beer. You bro, oh, you come yeah. you come with your own your beers, and they can sell those on Dollar Beer Night easy. Jay, you son of a bee, just keep showing that beer. <laughs> yeah, just, just keep flaunting that beer. beer. Just keep flaunting that beer. Oh, I see. I didn't know we were getting. I knew you had done the minor league thing. I didn't know we were getting the supposed to be Dennis Quaid rookie on the show here. Yeah, listen, you got your it would have been a whole lot better if it, Jim just take Jim Morris out and put <laughs> me in. I mean, easy, easy. We're calling Jim well, Morris. Okay. Listen, would you have had to like to have Dennis Quaid play you, or like who would you have wanted Ooh. to have play you, dude? Who better to play me than me? That's oh, well. Okay, there you go. Oh, now I we're getting greedy. We're crying out loud. He's like, I don't even want anybody. Just I, I got my face on a beer. Right. I can do I that. I'll take my face on the marquee. Forget Dennis Quaid. I have a base. So, on yeah, a it would have been it would have been an honor to have Dennis Quaid play me. Absolutely. Yeah. Kind of I don't even Listen, I don't even want to step aside. All right. Movie. <laughs> Who's the guy that played Sloth in the Goonies? That's who would play me in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now you're here. Now you're home. Cleveland. couldn't be happier. And I have to tell you, just watching you do, uh, you, you, are you still doing Brown's preseason stuff? See, I doubt it because when I did that, um, first of all, I had to get permission from ESPN to do it. I was still in yeah. a contract with them. Um, Channel 5 was fine with using me. They had actually called me two years earlier and asked ESPN for permission 
to hire me then. ESPN said no. Um, when they when Channel Five hired me, I was a free agent. I wasn't attached to another television station in town. Right now, I'm working for Channel Three. I, I doubt very seriously Channel Five will be interested in having me call their games as yeah, an employee of Channel Three. But I got to tell you, I knew that when I when I took the job, I knew that. Yeah, I told the Browns um, the way it was likely going to play out, but um, I didn't care. Um, I uh, the opportunity to call preseason games, even though nobody gives a rat's ass about preseason games, except for Cleveland the opportunity fans. to be in that press box and call those games. One of the most that's right up there with toe in the rubber for money. Okay. (laughs) That's really cool. And it's right up there with having your own beer. Oh, right. Oh, you son of a bitch. I'm I'm sorry, guys. It's so automatic. I'm going down. All I know is the next time, if I go to brew kettle and make a beer, I'm having to make a caricature of Jay Crawford and I'm going to have him make it ridiculous. That's all you sell it all over town. That's all you need. <laughs> so well, yeah, I, I, I likely won't do the games um moving forward. Yeah. But listen, uh for me, it was such a thrill and such an honor. I I can say this now because they paid me. I would have done that for free. Are you oh, kidding? Of course. Me? Of um, course. So it was just it was a great opportunity to um to sit in the press box and you know and call the eight preseason games that I got to do, I'll have those memories yeah. a lifetime. I really enjoyed working with, with, uh, with Tim couch and Bernie well, and Dustin Fox. It's a great crew. Um, just yeah. memories for a lifetime over those two preseasons. Well, I really wanted to know about that was how, what do you think super jacked up Tim couch now thinks about this new and revamped Cleveland Browns offensive line. Do you think he's just sits there and just is super jealous? Well, I can tell you because during all the commercial breaks, he would just look at me and be like, this is pathetic. This is pathetic. <laughs> I, I, would, I would have loved to play behind this line. By the way, it wasn't exactly Joe Thomas-like anymore. That was Jim Pine. <laughs> you know, yeah, he just got his butt kicked. Yeah. Um, and it cost him years <laughs> off his career. Yeah. And you know what? The guy is such a great guy. So this is a true story. Tim is from 15 minutes from Hazard. I covered Tim when he was an eighth grade starter on no the way. varsity team in basketball. Oh, my God. Oh. So I knew Tim in 1990. Oh, my gosh. Tim. Now, Tim's older brother, Greg, was – at the time, I thought he was a terrific athlete. He went on to EKU and played quarterback. He was, but he was undersized, but he was a terrific thrower. And all the coaches at Leslie County, where, where they went to high school, they all told me, Jay, Greg is good. Tim is going to be whatever he wants. If he wants to be a superstar in the NBA, he'll wow. be that. Or if he wants to be a superstar in the NFL, he'll have his pick. Tim, you can Google this. Tim was in ESPN did a top 10 greatest high school athletes of all time. Tim is higher than LeBron. Really? That dude was beast in high school, in high school basketball. Yeah. Football. I think he still holds records for football, but in basketball, I think he was Mr. Mr. Basketball in the state of Kentucky. In Kentucky. And, and when he went to Kentucky, part of the deal was, Tennessee had told him, no, you can't play basketball. Kentucky said you can walk on. 
So he actually did walk on. And, oh my gosh. you know, he, I think he went to a couple of practices and Patino pulled him aside and said, look, do you really, really want to risk your football career? And, and by the way, that team, that Kentucky team, I think lost one game and won a national championship <laughs> and had like four future first round draft picks on. So right. Tim, Tim ended up like, okay, so they told me one thing, like, and then I come up here and they're basically saying, you don't really want to do this, do you? So he, oh he, you know, called it a, called it a career, but um, I'd seen him play basketball and dominate. I mean, he was just, he was in, insane in basketball. He's I still- will argue the death of, with anybody that yes. Tim Couch yep. got such a yep. bad rap. Yep. Uh, you know, people call him bust around here, but no, you know, no. I, I do know. No. Though, uh, I think Browns fans are smart, and as they look back and re-examine the history, yes. they kind of realize we weren't so bad back then. Like, no. you know, you go twenty years and you win a combined. 20 games. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that smoke Kevin looks pretty damn good. And I do think too, that history, you know, if you go back and watch the games, the kind of offense that they ran, they yeah. might as well put him out there in a bikini. They had no protection for him. He was, and they, of course he's, you know, dropping back in the pocket, standing still and with nobody to keep, keep him clean. It's yeah. amazing that he lasted as long as he did. And when you look at his numbers, I think the one thing that jumps out is I think he, he probably threw too many interceptions. I think he may have had an, an yeah. interception for every touchdown that he threw. But, you know, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how did you like to play? But yeah, right. <laughs> he, right. he had big moments. And, he, and, and I do think that if he had yeah. – he told me this story, and this is true. He played with one player in his entire career that was named to, uh, all pro. Yeah. One player in his entire career was a, was an all pro. So oh, his, tells you what he had around him. I, listen, there was the, there was the incident where he got a bit emotional in the locker room. And I think that is what killed the reputation up front. No question. But I think looking back, I mean, uh, the whole Kelly Holcomb, thing, like Tim couch took us to the playoffs in 2002. No question. He's no, the reason no we question. got to the playoffs. With not a lot of talent. With not a lot of talent. And, and and he got thrown in. I mean, I know he was ready. If if you were to put him on an on a ready team, even 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 the Bengals at that point, if you were to put him on the Bengals, he was ready, but not with this not with this expansion and roster. Well, they should have just talk about how timing is everything, guys. So remember when Carolina and Jacksonville were expanded into the league, mm-hmm. the league made a terrible mistake in the way they set up the two teams to draft players. They, they made, they gave every NFL team, I believe, I can't remember what the exact numbers were, but I think they could, they could protect 25 players and they had to expose everybody else. Well, that left some pretty good talent out there for Carolina and Jacksonville to cherry pick. And they did. And within, I think, three years, both of them played in conference championship games. Yes. So the other established teams were like, wait a minute. If we do this again, can we please screw the expansion team? Right. Can we not, 
you know, red carpet them to the playoffs in three years. Right. And so, well, the Browns were the the benefactors or, you know, they, they paid the price for that because if you looked at the, they had changed the rules and the players that you could protect. So basically players were leaving exposed. They're like bottom seven players. Right. Right. So they insured the Browns to suck for 30 years. Well, I mean, in fairness to the Browns, in fairness to the Browns, they did walk to the playoffs in three, uh, four years, in four Four years. years, And, you know, they didn't make it to a conference championship game like Carolina and Jacksonville did. But when you look back at those first two seasons, I'm surprised they even won a single game. I look back now and I would take, I would take Butch Davis and Tim Couch for 15 years. Why not? (laughs) Why not? Butch Davis and Tim Couch and just let it go. The supporting cast was so bad. I know Lomas Brown well because Lomas uh, and I worked together at ESPN, and we were getting ready to do the Lions game. And Lomas walked into our box. He gives me this huge bear hug, and he he looks at me. He played with Tim here, and he goes, I'm going to tell you something about Tim Couch. He got screwed by the offense that the coaches put in and the, the players that we had were so bad and they, <laughs> they handcuffed him with a system that so there bad. was no way he could be successful in. And Lomas is a smart guy. You know, yeah. Lomas won at least one Super Bowl. He was a reserve on that Bucks team. I think yep. he won one with the Giants as well. You know, a, a slam dunk Hall of Fame guy, wonderful uh, career, and it's very smart. Yeah. And he told me, he said, had this guy – gone anywhere else yeah he would have had a 15-year borderline hall of fame career he just landed at the wrong place at the wrong time yeah hands down i mean you have dave wallabaugh throwing olay blocks out there (laughs) oh my god (laughs) (laughs) i know we used to laugh laugh about and god uh, no offense to any of these guys but we used to laugh jim pine might have had a holding on every play jim pine was the he was the holding king of the world. I will never forget Jim Pine. No question. Yeah. There was a hall of fame for hold. <laughs> He's the initial, <laughs> the inaugural. You know, if he does make it to the hall of fame, I just, I just checked, you know what his bust is going to look like? Oh no. It's the holding symbol. No face. Just this. This is the holding the first, symbol. The first, the first bronze bust with the, with hands. <laughs> no face. <laughs> but I don't think we're going to have to worry about that. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, well, Jay, uh, you know, you, you know, getting into these current Browns, how'd you, how did you feel about the offseason moves they made? You know, we talked about it on the uh, the podcast previously. We think, you know, no big splashes, but real nice, good, sensible moves. I mean, I mean, it's uh, we were, we're really impressed with the job Andrew Barry has done so far. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, you know, for too many years we went the sexy route. We wanted to draft the big name quarterback. We wanted to take Brady Quinn. Johnny Manziel we wanted you know we wanted to win the fans and you don't win the fans when you draft a left tackle but I think our fans have been through it so much where we see these glamour guys and these you know these future busts at quarterback putting the Browns hat on year after year after year I think that the fan base was ready for this. I think, you know, they, they were like, okay, let's, let's, it's obvious when you watch the team, what the hole yes. was, what the weakness was. 
And between free agency and the draft, I think, you know, it's not going to steal headlines. You know, CBS Sports isn't going to name the Browns the A-plus draft uh, class of 2020. But when, when you look at the smart teams and the way they operate, they assess their holes and they plug them with the free agency signings or with the draft. And I think we've done that. Um, I think there is we what we've done in a critical year for Baker Mayfield, which year three is the most important. What we've done is eliminate any possible excuses. You now have a Pro Bowl running back. You have two Pro Bowl borderline Hall of Fame wide receivers. We have dramatically improved our tight end position. We have dramatically improved our offensive line. There's no more excuses. Go out there and throw 30 touchdown passes and single-digit interceptions and take this team to the playoffs because the excuses are gone. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think uh, even, you know, even you can tell, like you said, they're ready. I mean, uh, have you ever seen a fan base get so excited? And, and that's my favorite. I mentioned it last week. It's my favorite part of the whole draft. When the Browns went on the clock, you could tell that they did not think Jedrick Wills was going to be there for them because no. when they went on the clock, the clock never even showed up. It just went nope. Browns the pick is in. and the pick is in. Boom. And when, when, when I saw that, I'm like, I, my biggest fear was they were going to say, we've got a trade to announce. Oh. <laughs> and when I yeah. saw the way the draft was unfolding before us, the first nine picks, I'm like, there, there he is. It's, you know, it's, you, you've got your pick of the, you know, you can go Iowa. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know that there's look, history will tell us if they got it right. Um, it always does. And it, it's, it, it never lies, but I felt in my mind, either guy is they're, they're both from big time programs. They both were coached at a very high level. Um, you know, Ferentz, I think knows how to coach offensive linemen and we know what goes on at Alabama. So I, I felt like they're there, both of them. You know, it's like picking between Miss Venezuela and Miss Brazil. Like, you know, you're you're gonna Always win. Go with Brazil. You can't go wrong. <laughs> go but, Brazil. Can't go wrong. <laughs> but I was I was happy with what was sitting there, and I thought it's it's their need, and there's two A plus guys sitting there. Yeah. If they trade this pick, I'm turning off the TV. <laughs> turning it back on until 2045. And drinking lunch break until 2045. That's exactly right. So, you know, I, I, my, my fear was, oh, God. And my fear all day, I'm like, they're going to trade. They're going to trade down. I know they're going to trade down. That's what we do. We're going to trade down. We're going to trade down and draft a long snapper. And then when, when, they, when, <laughs> when, they, when they said the click that the pick is in, <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, we're going to do what we're supposed to do here. Yeah. And they did, and I was thrilled. And. Um, I can't wait to see the kid um, in action. And I do believe, and I, I was very optimistic last year too, that's who I am. But I do believe we are a nine plus win team this year. We're going to make, we're going to be, we're going to play meaningful games in the month of December, which oh is really God. at this point, I would take that. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree, Jay. I mean, I, on paper last year, we had, we, uh, and, and, and on paper this year, we have, we're, we have the talent as from a talent perspective, we are a nine, 10, 11 win football team. It's just a matter of putting it all together. 
I couldn't agree more. Um, I liked Freddie last year. Boy, personally, what a what a great yeah. guy. Charismatic. Yeah. What a storyteller in our production meetings. Just you could connect with this guy. You, I couldn't help but root for him. But I felt like his game plan was to put both hands behind his back, stick his face out there, and take 12 rounds of jaw shit. Yes. <laughs> and, and then come out for the 13 and be like, come on, you want some? You want some? Yeah. That's not He's fair. rocky, but he never won. No. Yeah. And that was kind of the micro and the macro, too. It was our game plan internally within the games. He yeah. would always talk about, we got to start fast. I want to hit him in the mouth. We got to start fast. And – you know, there were times where we did have beautiful drives, opening drives. Mm-hmm. And then I was watching it, and I literally thought I was watching the old electric football game where you would just put the guys on the field and then flip the switch, and they would just go, and they would run the wrong way. And you'd be like, no, no, and I'd grab them and turn them around. That's what I was watching. And so they would dig themselves huge holes. And then, yeah, after being down 31-7, they'd fight back and lose 31-28 and fumble on the last possession when they could have, you know, so it was just maddening. And I just, yeah. as much as I liked Freddie, it was just painfully obvious to anybody that watched, he's not the answer. Right. He just, and I knew that after three games, I just said, first of all, I went to the Tennessee game. Ugh. Talk about a beautiful opening drive. I left in the fourth quarter early. I never do that. But when I left, I literally said, he's not it. He's not the guy. Ugh. All the hype. All the buildup, all the excitement, you start at home and you lay that kind of an egg. And to me, it was a quit egg. They they weren't ready to play when they came out of the locker room. And they they quit once they, after the long touchdown that answered our score, they quit. And, you know, quit is very easy to recognize on an NFL field. Yeah. And when I saw that, I'm like, He's not the guy. He's he's just not the guy because there's no way the guy w- would have 53 guys throw their hands up in the air and quit all at the yeah, same yeah. time. Yeah, I had that moment at the Rams game. I went to the Rams game. and oh, That was another maddening. I, the Rams just rolled over and gave that game to us a thousand times. They just kept they giving to. us that game. Yeah. And we just what, what we was didn't that? It was like the fourth and twelve where they ran the draw play or something like that. And it was I like, thought I was looking at Captain Belichick. <laughs> I, I'm like, that didn't work then. And it's now watch, Freddie's gonna go on to win 17 Super Bowls. Good. You know what? Good for him. Go win your Super Bowls, but it wasn't happening here. Not here. No, so, not here. So tomorrow, just to wrap up the Browns talk real quick, I got a couple Indians questions and then we'll be done. But the tomorrow the schedule comes out. And again, I like all these off-season things. I, you know, people are like, oh, but you care too much about the schedule. You care too much about the draft. You care too much about the uniforms. I don't have anything else to care about right now. It's a 12-month cover now. It really is. But I have nothing else. What no, else am I going to care about? Well, you have South Korean baseball. Yeah, right. And I'm going <laughs> to pick a team. But like just- you said, you have nothing else. No, I, listen, I'm with you. Even in years when we have other things. Yeah. These are, these are milestone moments in the eight month off season period that basically what it is, is it's, you know what I call I used to call them at ESPN. I said, these are the rest stops that right, are right. located where the next one is another 250 miles. Right. These rest stops are positioned perfectly. Just when we need a football fix, boom, here comes the combine. Right. Then we need a football fix. Boom. Here comes the draft. Then we need a football fix. Boom. Here comes the schedule. Then we need a football fix. 
rookies come in for mini camp. Yes. Then we need a fix and training camp. Training camp. So it's a it's genius marketing by the NFL. They're never too far from the front of our lobes. Well, I've got I got room to care about multiple things. I can care about the Indians and the Cavs and the Browns care. all at the same time. I'm you enjoying it. Care. So so we know the opponents. We know the home and away. Right. So I don't know. Do you have Do you have a hope? Do you have a Do you have one thing you're looking for in the schedule tomorrow when it comes out that you're like, man, I hope that happens. No, not really. I never try to anticipate like who we're going to open with. Are we going to be at home? I don't care about that. The one thing I always look at, always, always, is how many home games we have in the last eight. Because it can work out that you only have three. And I think that's a major bone job when that happens. <laughs> you don't want three home games in your last half of the season. Right. I also look for, which we don't have to worry about this year, thankfully, because we would have had, we would have been in London. I guarantee it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we don't have to worry about that now. So that's already one win. The other thing I look at is our road games in December. Those are big. Yeah. You always know that you're going to have probably one and maybe two road conference games in December. Yeah. 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 Um, so those are the little things I look for, but I don't, I'm not hoping for anything. I'm not, you know, I'll look at the schedule and I'll either give it a big thumbs up or a big thumbs down, or you know what? I'm neutral on it. But I always say this at the end of the day, you can do nothing about who is on your schedule and how it lays out. Don't bitch about it. Don't complain that you've got a Monday night game. Um, and then, uh, a Sunday a one o'clock yeah. on the West Coast. Don't yeah. complain about that stuff because all you're doing, your team will hear it. And I, when I was in Tampa covering Tony Dungy, I used to remember he always used to say, "He goes, when excuses are for losers, you're building in reasons to lose when you say, wait a minute, after our one o'clock or after our Monday night game in Miami.'" We have a one a, 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 a four o'clock Eastern time, one o'clock LA time on West Coast. Right. You know, we only have four days, full days to get ready. You know, forget about it. You can't control it. So I, I, I try not to look at it and start building in those excuses because players will do that on their own. And right. You just don't need excuses ahead of time. I totally agree with you, but I, I don't know. I see that I see that Dallas game in Dallas. And I just feel like I wouldn't mind watching the Browns on Thanksgiving. Why not? That'd be I good. Be for, sure. Yeah. For that, that could be a good time. Uh, I know I'm going. I'm going to go as long as the world opens up by then. I'll, I'll go see Joe in Tennessee. I'll go see you in Nashville and we'll go to that Browns game. Hell yeah. Why oh, yeah. not? I'll bring some Jake Crawford beer with me. <laughs> Please do. In for the event. <laughs> if we're allowed to go. That's right. If, if the world is open. Yeah, I yeah, get me started. Hey, by then my beer will be on season too. That's right. There you Absolutely. go. Absolutely. I'm taking it. I'm selling it in Nashville. It's gonna be the biggest hit on Broadway. <laughs> Sorry guys, I'm just setting my alarm for five AM to wake up to watch Korean baseball. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't call uh, Yeah, I won't. I won't. I won't, Jay. I promise. Unless um, it's to know, pitch so for one of the teams, then I'm in. Oh, the Kahoot! The Kahoon Heroes are the number one team in the in the, in the Korean baseball. I heard they're looking. I heard they're looking for a starter. If they're looking for an old righty that's very crafty and's got five pitches, give me a call. Charlie Huff is first <laughs> on their like list, it. but you're next. <laughs> My teammates in Florida used to call me Kenny Rogers. <laughs> At the time, he was like 47 and just twirling that tumbler and making oh, yeah. 
foolish. And that was by far my, my out pitch. And they were just, I mean, literally I answered to it. There was, I was tennis. <laughs> that's the same way my dad was jay my dad uh pitched for in the astros organization he had three different curveballs he threw that's what he said he had a fastball changeup with three different curveballs he threw and that was <laughs> that's a pretty good repertoire right there yeah the overhand was his, the overhand was his out pitch but um speaking of baseball jay we want to get to the indians a little bit you know a, a report came out today that Lindor's camp is done with the tribe and that they're, they're no longer going to negotiate and Lindor wants to hit free agency. You know, what, what, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Can we please all divorce ourselves from the idea that Frankie Lindor will wear a uniform after November of this year or whenever our regular season ends? Um, I think that Indians management would have been smarter if they just, if they played this completely differently. And, and just came out and called it what it was. Instead, the smoke signals that you're saying there's a chance. Uh, no, no, there is no chance. And guys, I will tell you, honestly, there was never a chance. Never. Yeah. Things got off on the wrong foot when they held Frankie to get the additional year yes. on the side. Yes. And I had a long, drawn-out argument with my friends at ESPN about why that was a foolish move. Very. Because first of all, if you go back and look at it, after Frankie came up in his rookie season, we played lights out. We started the season oh, yeah. horribly. If we had called him up earlier, we make <laughs> the playoffs, and all you got to do is get a ticket to the dance, and in baseball, right. anything can happen. Right. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I said – the, the, the bad will that we're sowing in to the soup now is going to come back to get us. And it did. Everybody was, you know, so excited that we could keep him that extra year because of his service being delayed. It was a bad idea from start. And once they realized who his agent was and that they absolutely shot down what was clearly the Indians' best offer, what the Indians should have done at that point was said, Looking at our financial situation and given the, the, the economics of baseball and the fact that we are at a major geographic disadvantage, we cannot jeopardize the long-term future of our franchise for one player. So just call it what it is. We hope that Frankie can lead us to a World Series championship in the remaining years that he has left. And I wouldn't have said enjoy him while you can. Oh, I wouldn't have atrocious. put it. In, I wouldn't have phrased it that way. But I think fans are smart enough that you know it. We want transparency. Number one, anybody that for a second thinks that the Cleveland Indians can afford one player at thirty million a year, you're you you're not paying attention. You're, you're just not paying attention. And as and listen, I love this guy. This guy, if I was starting a franchise tomorrow and I could take any player that wasn't a pitcher and age factors into this, I'm taking Frankie because he's got it all. He's got everything. And he still hasn't hit his home run peak. And he's a, you know, he's, I call him a top of the dugout. He's the top step of the dugout kind of guy. And he's good karma for the whole team. Yeah. But at some point last year, the worm turned with Frankie. And I have a theory I think that when when Tito left Cookie in, 
and he gave up that that second home run and he ended up blowing a big yeah. lead yep. on his on his first start back in Cleveland on his first appearance back in Cleveland I th- I don't know if that's exactly when it when it happened but Frankie's joy seemed to pour yeah, out yeah. of his body it was gone he didn't have the same smile he didn't play with the same enthusiasm he didn't have the same rub off on his teammates he and Cookie are close and yeah. I was furious watching that game from home. After the first home run, I was begging Tito, go get him. Go get him. He's done. He's done. Get him. And then he gives up the second home run, and I'm like, okay, now, not only is he done now, now he's, he's done. done for the rest of the year. He's, he's done. done. Right. His right. brain is cooked. And yeah. I don't know. I have I have no inside information. I am completely spitballing here. Sure, sure. But I – I wouldn't be watched enough to Frankie watch that being as close yeah. as he was to cooking yeah. and couldn't help but wonder, what are you doing right now? What are so, you doing? So we try to be uplifting. We try to think of positive things here, but, but so this question is a little depressing, but here's, here's, here's the hard thing to think about. The Indians are never going to be a big free agent player. Never. The Indians are never going to go out and sign that big free agent. Nope. What's They'll the get point? Maybe a fifteen million dollar two year guy, maybe so fifteen what, a year what? for two years, and you know, like an Encarnacion right. or somebody like that. But they're not going to be. They're never going to get a thirty million dollar a year guy. They won't. Right. So it's hard as a as a fan, as a baseball fanatic. What's the point of all of this? What's the point well, of all of this? If you can't if you can't bring up your own guys and then keep them, and you're not going to be a free agent player, right? What's the point of all of this? So I would say to you, because I've had this conversation with thousands of Indians fans, your complaint isn't with the Indians. Your complaint should be with Major League Baseball. Absolutely. So, you know, listen, I'm not going to make excuses for the owner. I will say, after having many extended conversations with him, I get it. I I, I completely get it. People always want to talk about how he's got all this money and how, you know, no. If he wants to sell the Indians, he has a lot of money. And we better hope he doesn't because I'm telling you, you can go back to, yeah. I think it's 2013, since he took over day-to-day operations of the Indians. No team in the American League has won more games than the Cleveland Indians. And they've right. done it by spending $900 million less than the team that has won the second number of most games over that time. Wow. Right. So, you can't argue with those kind of numbers. He is playing within the system. He is playing the hand that has been dealt to him. We're a small TV market. If you want to compare our TV money to the New York Yankees or the Boston Red Sox no. or the Angels or the Rangers, we're going to lose that every single time. The Indians have to work differently. They have to draft smart. They have to have ridiculous player development, which they do. I've had teams, yes. I've had members of many front office um, Major League Baseball teams tell me they would die to have the kind of pitching depth this organization has. Oh, yeah. We have it because we've drafted guys with raw tools and we have developed them into Shane Bieber. I, I won't even list them because I'll forget some. But with guys, you know, we bring up Clevenger and we're like, wow, this kid's kind of goofy, but man, does he throw hard? He's, he's got Cy Young. We've got guys, we've brought four guys up in the last two years that have front of the rotation 
stuff. Oh, yeah. Other teams would love to have one of them. So we have to do it that way. We have to draft smart, develop our players, hope that you can lock them up long-term like we did in the 90s and like we did with Jose Ramirez at bargains. And, and basically, we tried doing that with Frankie. He didn't want any part of it. He was going to bet on himself. That's a safe bet. I would have done the same thing. Frankie, yeah. next year, will sign a contract that will pay him. And now all this might change because of the, the, the dollars and cents of baseball is being changed dramatically because of COVID. But right. it, I'm guessing that he'll be upwards of $30 million a year. And yeah. the Indians simply can not afford one player on their team to make $30 million. It just can't happen. It will, it should never happen in a market like this. We would, if we signed him, you know what we would be eight years from now, we'd be the Detroit Tigers with That's the right. contract. That's right. Or the Orioles with uh, Chris Davis or the yeah. Orioles with Chris Davis. There are a million <laughs> examples. And by the way, tell me the number of teams that have won world series with players North of 30 million a year on their roster. Right. I tell you what I saw uh, earlier this week, uh, the number of championships that the Yankees and Marlins have since 2001 <laughs> yeah. is one each. Isn't that a great stat? And by the yeah. way, the Marlins bought theirs. Right. Oh, Wayne Huizinga City in 97 and 2003. That's exactly right. He went out and bought it. He got he hired a and bunch they got of rid of everybody. Guys, and then they scattered like hornets at the end of the year. <laughs> yeah. So you could do it that way. You could buy a one-year window. That's more risky than what the Indians are doing. Look, at least with the Indians, they've given us meaningful baseball in September each For a decade last almost. six years or yeah. whatever it's been. So their system is working. You have to keep rolling the dice and hoping that one of the years you you catch the hot arms, you catch the hot bats. It, you know, look, 2016 should very easily have been that year. And that's, so that's what I don't understand is how Dan Gilbert is held up on this platter for bringing a championship to Cleveland. Nonsense. He, he did spend the money. I give him credit for that, but he was, you know, LeBron was coming home to Cleveland in spite of Dan Gilbert. Um, so what have the Cavaliers done without LeBron James since LeBron James came into the league? I'm going to blow your doors off. Their winning percentage is worse than the Browns. Whoa. No. For that time. Wow. Is that possible? It's look it up. In the they play negative games. The Cavaliers have played basketball without LeBron James on their roster since LeBron came, you know, since he left the Cavs the first time. Yeah. Their winning percentage is lower than the Browns. And there, I, I, I think there's a lot of factors behind that. I think I think you build teams to play with LeBron. Everybody sure talks about, do, but everybody but talks about a manager or a good owner would build a good team in his absence. Right. You know, yeah. A lot of teams that you got two thirds of the teams in the NBA make the playoffs or whatever that ridiculous yeah, number. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I mean, I think the five, the four of us and and uh, one of our other buddies could you know. We could we could have won nine games in a year too. We could all sit around. We could drink some Jay Crawford just, beers, and we could right. put and a team together. Threes. <laughs> yeah. Get a hot hand. Just keep firing the threes. So I mean, you would think that's crazy. That's that in crazy. In the absence of LeBron, we would have had a, a playoff team. No, we haven't. And you know, 
the, the big debate now is Jordan or James, Jordan or James. Uh. And I, you know, look, I, I, I get that. I understand all that. But here's what I'll say. I can't stand that. When you took Michael Jordan off the Bulls for his two-year baseball career, the Bulls lost in the Eastern Conference semis to the Knicks in seven games. Like, they were still a great basketball team. When LeBron left, the, the Cavaliers were embarrassing. Yeah. I mean, they just fell off. They went from dominant to a completely irrelevant. If this was European soccer, they'd have been relegated. Yeah. Yeah. They were that bad. And so, you know, at least, at least Michael had great players that were around him. And I'm not saying that, that, look, LeBron has two. He's had some many different players. He hasn't had the benefit of one Scotty Pippen throughout his entire career. Well, you take a guy like, you take a guy like Kyle Korver, we didn't, I didn't even think we were getting into the caps, but when you take a guy like Kyle Corver, perfect guy to play with LeBron James. Absolutely. Stand there and yeah. wait for me to pass you the ball and, and make and a three. you will be open. But when you take LeBron out of that system, Kyle Corver doesn't do a whole lot for you. And he's one of the great shooters of all time. I don't, I don't mean to slight Kyle Corver, but he doesn't do anything for you. He just, he's a one dimensional guy. Covered. Yeah. He's right. a one dimensional guy who, if you have addition drive guy on your team, that that stand and, and you know that catch and shoot shooter is yeah. going to look like wow this guy's a world beater because he's shooting open threes all night because the defense completely collapsed when LeBron puts the ball right, the right. twice. everybody crumbles into the middle kick out to Kyle wide open I mean right it's the story of Danielle out. Marshall it's the story of Damon Jones it's the Absolutely. story it, but it's, LeBron it's the biggest, needs shooters and rebounders to be successful. Bottom line, LeBron but it's the biggest mistake the Cavs made his first time around when they had a halfway decent opportunity to draft somebody, they would pick a dude in Europe and never bring him yeah. over. They yeah. never brought young players. And when they and, did, it was Danny green and he never saw the court. Right. And you know, so I know Krause history, history will remember Krause as the guy that broke up the bulls oh. But to be fair. And, and we should be, some of the moves that Krause made oh, yeah. were, were brilliant. He drafted Scottie Pippen, and he predicted at the time he was going to change lives in the NBA. Yeah. He went out, and after first wanting nothing to do with Dennis Rodman, finally came around to saying, let's bring him in. So, you know, I mean, you got to give him credit for making oh, sure. really smart moves at the time that quite frankly, the Cavaliers never made with LeBron. They went out second time around, they went out and signed some key free agents and they paid a lot of money, but probably the most expensive championship in, in team sports history. But they went out, they wrote the checks. So I give Dan Gilbert credit for yes. that. But I think that was probably a caveat to LeBron coming home. You're going to take a huge cap hit. You're going to pay the tax and you're not going to complain about it and we'll win a title, but you got to get me this, 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 and this. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, Gilbert brought a title to Cleveland and I'm glad he did. And I'm hats off to you, but I got to judge you by what you've done without LeBron James. And quite frankly, that letter grades an F. F plus. (laughs) Jay, um, back to um, sports. I know we're also thirsty for something to happen, especially with our major sports here. Uh, we saw the report today that the Indians had mentioned to some players that we'd be back July 1st. Do you think there's any credibility to that? Is that something that we can do? 
Yeah, I, I think there is credibility to it. All of the players were on a Zoom call. I think in total there were 70 guys on the wow. call. So it was you know, coaches, manager, players, everybody in, in the top tier of the organization was on this call, and they were told to be ready to go by July 1st. So they're going to start training camp, spring wow. training 2.0. Um, the, 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 the target for that is June 1st. They're going to go hard for three weeks. And the hope is to start a season on July 1st. They will play through the month of November. They're wow. hoping to play 110 games. I think it's probably more realistic that they'll have a 100-game schedule. <laughs> they Right now, one of the plans – none of this is ironed you know, is, is, right. is in stone. But the, the plan that has the most traction is after that, they'll have – the playoffs in warm weather cities, because what difference does it make? They probably won't have fans there anyhow. So right. even though they're planning a season, I wouldn't plan to go to progressive field until 2021. I don't think there'll be fans at any of these games. I can drink plenty of Jay Crawford beers sitting in my, <laughs> sitting in my basement, watching these games. I don't even care. I don't need to go it's to the a games. whole lot cheaper. Yeah, that's right. Yes. <laughs> well, Jay, listen, uh, we plan to have you on for about an hour, and it's been significantly longer than that. But we've had so much. Secret. I talk a lot. Well, we couldn't have had more fun with you, and uh, we cannot appreciate. We're we're pretty new on the podcast scene, but we're having a good time, and uh, and uh, we really appreciate you coming on. We hope that we can have you on more. Uh, maybe as sports go on, we can talk to you uh, a little bit down the line. But uh, just want to say thank you so much for joining us. I got my. I forgot I even had this down there. Nice. My BG helmet that I have sitting back here. I have a BG helmet, but it's in a bookcase all the way on the other side of the room. So I'm not going to yeah. sit over there and, and grab it. <laughs> probably signed by Josh Harris, Urban Meyer. You probably I'm more are... a Brian McClure guy. I go, oh, I go back okay. to the late 80s. <laughs> I was the... The, the highlight of my college career was when college game day came to Bowling Green for Northern Illinois versus Bowling Green. And both teams were like top 15. I remember that. Yeah. Michael Burner Turner for Northern Illinois yep. and Josh Harris and Cole Magner and that group yeah. with, Oh my God. It was, it was one of the great nights of my whole career and I'm a it's, freshman it's, and oh I'm, God. I got a case of beer sitting at <laughs> I mean, I was an old freshman, is what I should say. I got a case of this. <laughs> you were a 21-year-old freshman. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, <laughs> sitting there Hashtag at the game day. Creepy, I don't Hashtag even know. creepy guy alumni club. I got my game day helmet still sitting here somewhere. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. But hey, listen, thank you for staying on so long with us. Uh, it was awesome, and uh, we really appreciate your time. And, and, again, we look forward to talking more. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me. Good luck to you uh, on your podcast. It's a lot of fun. Again, thank you so much to Jay Crawford from WKYC, formerly ESPN, and I don't know, the St. Saint Paul Saints and everywhere else he pitched when he was 39 and all that, but uh, some really amazing stuff and an absolute pleasure to have him on. We hope to have him on more in the future. Uh, that's going to do it for us on the Garage Beers podcast. Uh, again, we were planning on kind of covering some stuff after Jay left and he just stayed on with us and kept going. And uh, uh, so, guys, anything else you need to pitch in here this week? Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't even know what to say after that, honestly, because that was just uh, amazing insight. 
Uh, I mean, this is, this might as well have been, you know, garage beers with Jay Crawford. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just took over and it was, it was great. Unbelievable. I, I mean, the, the, the things that he was able to tell us that, I mean, we would have never have known, uh, you know, it was, was just, I, 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 I don't know. I have nothing else to say. It was amazing. And I can't wait for, I, I can't wait to hear people's reactions to this. Yeah. I think we need to do cold pizza and garage beers. On multiple occasions. Oh, do a little pizza review? (laughs) Yes, (laughs) let's do it. Well, we're going to wrap it up here for this week. Next week, this is, I'm so excited. I'm geeking out about next week. Uh, We got another special guest next week. Thanks to Chad. Uh, Totally. Chad, do you want to, do you want to reveal the big, the big special guest for next week? Uh, Well, (laughs) if you are. Uh, a WWE fan. Well, back then it was the WWF um, during the Attitude Era or, or the and the Raw is War. Oh, I'm so excited. Era, and so I th- excited. I think he lasted even into the Ruthless Aggression Era. Um, <laughs> Ruthless. <laughs> let me let me let me uh, let me just uh, preface this by saying, what does everybody want? What does everybody want? Al Snow, WWE, like wrestling legend. Legend. Al Snow is going to be joining us next week, folks. So you're not going to want to miss that. And uh, so we got another great interview for you next week. All right. Well, that's going to do it again. Tune in next week. Episode seven featuring Al Snow. And hopefully he brings head with him. Maybe we can talk to her. It. I mean, maybe is there more than one? I have no idea. We're going to find (laughs) out. But we're going to talk about Al Snow's time in the independence, his time with the WWF, his his hardcore time. And now he he's he is a, a wrestling league owner at this point. So we're excited yeah. to catch up with Al Snow uh, and uh, and have him on Garage Beers. But again, special thanks this week goes out to Jay Crawford, WKYC. You can catch him every day on WKYC. Uh, but he was absolutely spectacular and uh, uh, a, a good friend of the podcast. So. Again, we're cutting it. We're cutting it off here for Joey down in Nashville, for Chad on the East Side. Uh, again, we just thank you so much for listening. Please share us with your friends. Please subscribe and like us. Rate us. Uh, we are on iHeart, so if you like to listen to podcasts, you can go to iHeart Podcast now. We are officially up, but uh, it's been an awesome week, and we look forward to having you next week. So for everybody, uh, a quick here, something, oh, go ahead. A quick something I just noticed before we go. A quick something I just noticed uh, on May twenty third, something special is happening. I know I'm geeking out, and this is going to be a total nerd moment. Oh, no. But uh, actress Judith Hogg, do you remember that name? Yeah. yeah. Actress Judith Hogg. Oh, excuse me, it's Hogg. Hogg. Uh, <laughs> He's such a fan. She, she played the original April O'Neil in oh, the first TV. I, I saw this. I saw this. She is hosting a virtual pizza party. Yes, we're bringing the With garage bears. Let's do it. Turtles. Ah! <laughs> All right. Anyway. Who was your favorite Ninja Turtle? Real quick before we go. Leonardo done. Le- oh, look at Joey's no, like, I'm too young for this. I, I lied. Oh, I'm not too young Donatello. for this. So, you know, I was more like a Pokemon guy. Yeah, well, look at you. You're grumpy as shit, so you're Raphael. I was go. always Leonardo. That's <laughs> give me the blue, give me the blue eye thing and let me be the leader of the group. I'm ready for this. So I love it, Chad. Again, Chad, Joe, it was awesome. Again, thank you to Jay Crawford. We'll catch you next week on the Garage Beers podcast. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.